One even fair as a sun shining. This podcast is sponsored by Kelly's Bar, Oswald Street, Glasgow. Live Irish music every week from your favourite singers and bands. Check out the Kelly's social media page for more information. How are we all doing, folks? And welcome to the fifth Rebel Collective podcast. This is a monthly music-based podcast that will feature guests of a rebel nature. We'll be getting to know some of their favourite songs and the songs that help shape the artists they are today, and hopefully gaining a bit of insight into their background and influences. My name is Coach, and our guest this month is Gary Ogg. Gary began his musical career in his mid-teens, co-founding the popular Glasgow Irish rebel band Air Ogg. The band went on to release two albums, the debut album being Live at the Brazen Head, one of the most popular Irish rebel albums to date. Gary's released two solo albums, Live in Glasgow and Live in Hamburg, and also collaborated on another album with Glasgow Irish musician Sean Lyons, Songs of Rebellion. Gary's 25-year career has taken him all over Europe, as well as Australia and America on several occasions. Gary, welcome along, big chap. Hi, welcome. How are we keeping the day? I've no spoke to you since this morning. <laughs> yes, I know I'm getting sick of the sight of you. Right, uh, we're going to start the way we always start with these podcasts. Um, how did you pick up a guitar? Where, where did you first pick up a guitar or learn a guitar? Um, guitars, I would have been introduced to guitars through house parties. Um, when I was a kid, I have memories of family using any excuse to get a, a kind of gathering of of all the parents, you know, so... Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was a birthday or a holy communion or a you know confirmation or anything, there'd be a party and and my uncle Shuey he was famous for coming along with a guitar and and and, and belting out some tunes, and that, that was the first time I kind of seen it up close, and I remember there's a kid being kind of drawn to it and kind of fascinated a bit by the the guitar, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and trying to get a wee shot at it and a wee you know and whatever. Um, my first guitar was given to me by my big cousin, Brian. Um, it was like a wee three-quarter length nylon string guitar. But I didn't kind of seriously do anything with that until I was probably about 12 or something like that when I started to really kind of think to myself, you know, I want to play the guitar. Um, I bought a an electric guitar when I was 12 or 13 or something. Um, well, I should say my mum bought me an electric guitar when I was about 12 or 13. Um, but it was, you know, I remember getting an acoustic guitar for someone. Where the hell did I get that for? Somebody gave me an acoustic guitar and I can't even remember who it was now. Um, and I probably seriously started to play like acoustic rhythm guitar mm-hmm. when I was about fourteen. Um, teach yourself or lessons? Or? I learned for a book. Um, I had a book of chords, one of the kind of chord books that gave you all the A chords and B chords and C chords and D chords. And I remembered at the beginning. I mean, this probably won't have any interest to people that don't play the guitar. But at the beginning of the 
the, the process of trying to learn how to play the guitar. I remember thinking that what I had to do was learn all these chords in A, all these A chords, yeah. you know, and then learn all the B chords. And learn, you know, and, and I remember being mired in this thing for months, trying to learn A suspended fourth diminished seventh chords and things like that, you know, when you're, when you're trying to, you, know, you really should be trying to get your head on an F chord at that point, you know. Um, but eventually I, I got on the right track. Um, but it was, yes, yeah, I'm, I'm self-taught. And I never, I've never, which is probably self-evident, <laughs> but I've never had a lesson in my life of playing guitar. Everything I learned in the initial stages was coming through books, because this was pre-internet. Um, so, um, I, you know, so it was just, it was just a case of learning chords, getting songbooks of bands and things that you could play on a good acoustic guitar. So, the Beatles and Bob Dylan and things like that. And, um, and learning the songs out of the books and just kind of building it all as, as I went along um, yeah what about the singing? you've got a good old set of pipes on you thank you very much um, singing first time I, I sang I think would, would have been in school with, in drama classes so I remember like in first or second year or something at school doing Second year, I think, is um, I remember singing it in some kind of drama thing in school, mm -hmm. and being a bit nervous about doing it, but then being a bit kind of taken aback by the fact that people didn't laugh at me. And then the more that we could have did this in drama, people would say to me, yeah, "You can actually sing a bit and stuff," you know. So um, that was the first kind of realization at, at, at the time that you know I could I, I could hold a note and I could sing. You mm -hmm. know, um, uh, but it was a lot. Of, it was a few years after that before it was, you know, two or three, four years after that before I did any kind of singing publicly, ex except on one occasion, which um, we shall cover later in one of these songs. And one of the reasons I picked one of these songs, just for you. knowing you personally, I was hoping they were going to bring up Danny Zuko there, though. <laughs> <laughs> He's a wee rendition. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the one of the things we did in drama uh, is, was was the Greece kind of musical. Um, so I did a bit of singing in that. Yeah. Um, I also did some serious theatre, you know. Of course, yeah. aye, aye. very serious theatre. But uh, yeah, we'll not talk too much about that. <laughs> okay. Right. Anyway. Uh, you formed or you co-founded the band Airog with, with Paddy Campbell. How did how did that come about? I take it this was that was the first band you played in. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, it, it came about primarily because what we were doing we, we, we were about sixteen at school and we were kind of anxious to go and see a big football game, a big Celtic game, and we were all kind of trying to. Kind of come up with a way, you know, we could go to a pub somewhere. Bear in mind, we were all 16. Um, we were trying to think of places, oh, where would we get served? You know, where would we go? And we always come up with this plan that we would go to the Brazen Head and watch Celtic game. And we went along that day and, um, you know, over the course of that day, the Paddy had mentioned to me that he wanted to start a rebel band and, 
um, it all kind of built after that. Um, it was probably seeing the rebel band. For me, that was like you know seeing what he was saying he wanted to form was right in front of his playing the Celtic Connection were playing in the Brazen Head that day, so we were. Um, yeah, uh, it, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but Aerog did end up quite a, a popular rebel band, and it, mm. he's kind of came about in that mid nineties. All the downhill since. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> it was about in that that mid nineties rebel boom in Glasgow. Can you yeah. can you talk us through kind of what was going on in Glasgow at the time? Well, I mean, it's only kind of looking back on it that you appreciate it because it seemed like just it seemed kind of normal at the time. But we kind of walked into the beginnings of a scene where Irish pubs were starting to open up in mass across the city. Um, there was a big explosion of um, fever around Celtic. Um, about to begin as well, you know, with the um, kind of resurgence after Rangers is nine in a row, and the, um, so there was a few factors all coming into play at the time. Um, there was the the Good Friday Agreement in the sense that, you know, at that time I think people thought we had won something, um, but ah, there was a few things kind of coming in and playing together um, that that led to something that has, you know, it's, it's, it seems to have gone a bit now, but, mm. you know, there was this massive energy and explosion of people coming into the pubs. Pubs were rammed to the gunnels, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sometimes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Bands were playing in them, you know, people were coming along and you know, it was full-on rebel music and, and it's it's... It was a wee phenomenon in itself. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just, it was amazing to be a part of it and we were, you know, really lucky. The timing was great that we, we landed in just as this was all be, kind of beginning. Um, there was also, you know, the Blarney Pilgrims were playing at that time, Arthur and Rye and Charlie and the Boys and, you know, these bands were all playing around the pubs. Um, you know, the Volunteers, uh, Galtimore, uh, yeah, just loads of these bands, and and it was it was a great it was a great wee time to be involved in it, and um, as you say, you know, you talk about bands becoming popular, but the whole thing became popular mm -hmm. at that time. Everything about you know Irish rebel music took on a whole new level of popularity at that point in time, and anyway, you get dragged along with that as as much as as anything else. Um, we just happened to be in the right place at the right time, I think. Did you think that kind of maybe helped with the, the popularity of the band? Because you were, all were quite a popular band back in the day, you know? Aye. Um, well, as I say, aye. Obviously, you know, being in, at that time, um, as I say, I think we were lucky to have landed at that time. Um, there was a lot of good bands around. There was a lot mm. of... Um, uh, I wouldn't say rivalries or anything, but there was... A, there was, there was you know, a thing when you when, when there's lots of other bands and they're all good and everybody's the pubs are all full and people are all coming from one pub to another and yeah. telling you how great the other band were and whatever it, it pushes you on to be as good as you can be mm -hmm. because you know that this audience that's going around these places and these venues they're watching other bands and they're good it inspires you to try and put on a show and, and, and be as you mm -hmm. know um, entertaining as you can be were you 
touring much back then or how long were the band together before you hit the road? The band was formed in 94. The CD, the Brazen Head CD mm. that kind of led to the um, the popularity, as you put it, um, was released, well, it was recorded in 96, late 96, I think it was released in 97. Um, by that point in time, we were playing regularly in Ireland. Um, we'd been going backwards and forwards quite a lot. Um, uh, after the release of that, we we went, you know, lots of places. We went to America, we went to Germany. Um, aye, and, and toured Ireland extensively, up and down England and, yeah, and everywhere across Scotland as well. So, aye, we were getting around. We were certainly, you know, getting out there. So the only thing that we did of any regularity was the Brazen Head gig. Mm -hmm. um, we always retained that bass in the Brazen Head. Um, and a kind of Sunday night, although we, we did take the odd occasion off when we were away traveling places, but um, so it'd be common to find us in Ireland on a Friday and a Saturday night and back for a Sunday in the Brazen and back up the motorway for London or somewhere for the, to play in the Brazen. Um, but we were, we were getting out and we were doing a lot of miles. Right. When, when you first went to, to Belfast, obviously it had been still quite militarized back then when you went over, so what was that like for? For a young lad for Glasgow, it was into the heart. It was know. scary. It was intimidating. Um, this was somewhere that we'd well, I personally had only ever kind of experienced on on the news, uh, on TV. Um, I had uh, never spent any significant time in the North Island before. We had went, you know, I'd driven through it yeah, on, yeah. A, on a holiday to Donegal. Um, but I had never um, spent any kind of time in the north, so I, I had no idea what to prepare myself for. Um, but as you say, we were young. I was, I was, I was sixteen, seven. I was probably seventeen by the time we went to Belfast. Um, and as much as you, at that age, are kind of trying to outwardly project. Uh, how worldly and how experienced you, you are, you, you, you're, you're not. And um, I was, I was uh, aware enough of myself to, to know that I didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, it was, as I say, it was really, it was quite intimidating. But the reality was really different. Um, as much as it was militarised, as much as, it, you know, this, this lot of stuff was going on and, and there, the... the the people we've uh, found have always found to be, you know, welcoming, extremely welcoming, and extremely um, hospitable to you when you're coming over from Scotland to, to spend time in, in a place like Belfast or, or elsewhere. And you spent a lot of time with the Jordan family. When yeah, you were there. yeah, um, yeah. We, we the first time we went to. To Belfast, we were we were supposed to stay with with a family somewhere, but the the Paddy and Colum, <laughs> the brothers, um, they they had got themselves pissed and getting into a fight, and the family that we that were supposed to stay with was. Uh, 
you know, they weren't very um, keen on the idea of Paddy and Colm staying in the house. Okay. Um, we assured them that if we split them up, it would be fine. And, and it was, and, you know, in fairness. They were just drunk and they were brothers. Um, so me and Paddy get shipped away somewhere else to keep the peace. And the family that took us in that night was, was the Jordan family. Um, and afterwards, we, you know, we spent lots of time and, and you know, staying with them. We were backwards and forwards sometimes week after week, two and three times a month sometimes, you know. And when we were in the north, we were always kind of basing ourselves there. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and me and Paddy would always stay up there. And, um, so you know, you know yourself, you know, you, you build up kind of, friendships and stuff with people and when you go to these places you, you have places that you can go to and stay but when there's four and five and sixes in a band you often they're staying in two and three yeah, yeah. four different places you know <clears throat> but the Jordans were always very you know welcoming to us and always willing to put up a couple of years and you know and it tended to be me and Paddy that stayed there for the years so mm. yeah yeah it was uh, it was good but I think we could chat about Airog for ages, but so I'll need to kind of skip, skip that. Should make a film about it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's Airog yeah. sp <laughs> split up in 1999. Yeah. Uh, what was your thoughts and feelings about that at the time? Uh, do you know, I've never actually spoke about this. <laughs> People ask me all the time what happened. Um, the truth was, as I says to you, we were, we were travelling extensively. We were just constantly in vans and airports and ferries. And, you know, you were, we, we, we'd be playing maybe Thursday to Sunday, um, travelling home on a Monday, mm -hmm. but travelling away again on a Wednesday or a Thursday. And you were literally home for like a day, two mm -hmm. days at a time. Um, I found that quite hard going nah, after a while. Um, we'd done that probably four years solid. Um, there was times we spent weeks and weeks, you know, on the road. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, I just felt I couldn't do it anymore. And I was a mental wreck with the travelling and the lack of sleep, boozing and the carrying on and the you know, the madness and stuff yeah. that goes goes with touring on a band. Um, and I just, I just felt as though I'd had enough. So it was me who left the band there. Game over. Yeah, yeah, I just needed a break, I think. And mm -hmm. uh, I did, I took a, it took a while before I kind of really thought to myself, right, this is what I'm going to do now, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So after after that, Gary Ogg was was born. Was it straight after the band broke up, or did you take a wee break? Or well, I, I did a bit of kind of pub gigging. Aye, just a know, kind of solo. Locally, yeah. aye, solo. Um, but what I was meaning with, with that was like it took me a while before I, the, the the pub gigging was like a, a kind of fallback. You know, mm -hmm. um, I've got to keep working. I've got to keep you know yeah. doing something. Um, but there was no really any kind of direction behind that. It, at that time, you know, mm -hmm. I was just playing gigs. 
or because that's what you do when you're <laughs> a musician, you know what I mean? It's, um, but it took me a wee while um, to kind of decide that I wanted to do something solo and I wanted to record and I wanted to make an album and mm -hmm. I wanted to do something with that. Uh, uh, so were you solo for a, for a long time after it? I know you kind of teamed up with a few of the boys for Shabin from time to time and you done a lot of gigs with Big Sean, Sean Lyons, mm. with the Blarney Pilgrims. The, the Partisan thing came about, we played with, we formed a band called Partisan, which was, um, I kind of teamed up with Paddy again for, for Og. This time Paddy was playing on flutes mm. um, and whistles. Um, and we joined up with, as you say, a couple of boys that were playing with Shabin at the time, Mark O'Neill, who was a bass player, and... Joe Delaney, who was a drummer, mm -hmm. and we had a wee kind of side band that was more a bit of, a bit of fun and a bit of crack. Um, you know, when you do your, you're in a band yourself, it can, you know, yourself, it can get quite serious and sometimes playing with another wee band on the, you know, for a night now and again is, is a good release, a good mm -hmm. kind of bit of fun away from the, the seriousness of what you're, you're doing, mm -hmm. you know, for a living. But, um, so that was the idea behind it. And it kind of was that, because yeah. we never really done anything. We never made any albums. We never... You weren't together that long? No, we, we actually planned an album. We, we yeah. went as far as booking a studio, and mm -hmm. we got to the, the night before we were scheduled to go into the studio to, to record an album, which we had practised and, and rehearsed. Um, and we were ready to go in and record an album. Yeah. Um, and Joe... The drummer Joe Delaney went home that night, half canned. Lost his keys, stayed in a t like the second story in the flat. Tried to climb up the drainpipe and go in the window and fell off the drainpipe, broke his ankle. Oh, okay. So the whole recording thing got cancelled. Mm -hmm. And as you say, we weren't together that long. So after a while, it, we we never got into it again. So. Um, after Partizan, I went back to playing solo again. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that for a wee while again. And then, as you say, I teamed, I teamed up with Sean, um, which was, I stayed fairly consistently playing with Sean for the next kind of 12 to 13 years. Yeah. Well, that was <clears throat> kind of moving on to my next question. Your first, your first, your, your two albums were Og and your third album I'm sure was live in Glasgow they were all quite fast paced aggressive in your face and then you brought this this album that was shown which is a lot more laid back musical melodic sort of thing was that a kind of direction you could see yourself going in at that point well it was the first studio album I ever made mm -hmm. you know in the sense that the others were all live um, so they were kind of uh, how would you put it they, they were It was what I'd done live that was coming out on the recordings. Yeah, um, yeah. When when you you're doing a studio album, you have other opportunities. You have the opportunity to do things that you can't do live. You can add more instruments. You can, you know, play more parts. You can do melodies, and you know, yeah, you can yeah. do harmonies with your voices, and you can do things like that. So that was what we did with that album. We we, we used the kind of studio mm -hmm. rather than it wasn't it was wasn't 
an attempt to capture anything live. It was a, it was as you say, it was a yeah. it was a musical album, which Sean did ninety nine percent of the, <laughs> the playing on. You know, um, right. uh, I'm not trying to take any credit for the for the playing, um, but uh, you know, Sean's multi instrumentalist, talented, all of them, and and that's a good opportunity. He, he, he utilise that and. Mm-hmm. And, and bring it out, you know, and, and it, uh, uh, to this day I've still I've never done anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Since or, or before, you know, so it's it's a wee. Um, at, at least at this moment in time, it's fairly unique and against the rest of the stuff which you say is kind of live and raucous and. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it was an attempt to do something a bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm pretty happy. I'm always liked that album, and it would be of them all. I'm, I'm no somebody that would sit and listen to myself. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I'm no, I'm not uh, Shabin. I remember getting in the van with Shabin one day, and they were playing their own CD in the van. Um, <laughs> I, think all, I think we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not one of the kind of people. I don't. I don't sit and listen to myself playing. But if I if I was to, to hypothetically put on an album, I would put on the songs of rebellion. Um, okay. Uh, you had a cameo role in an album for was for the band Shanaki for New ah, York. Okay. Re- I wonder what this was going. <laughs> Rebel hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> but you were in a a song called Mish Era. Yeah. Um, how how did all that come about? A reggae song, as well. Aye, re- reggae hip hop. Um, I'm 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 friends with Chris Burn, who was the who you know Chris is, aka Shanaki. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember getting an e- I got an email from him one day saying to me that he does plan to make a song and. Uh, You know, he was going to feature different artists, and he was going to put you know different people on it, a different spin field, the different di- diasporas, of mm-hmm. Irish communities across the world, and um, he was he had this angle about Glasgow, and he wanted me to do this verse on a song, and and he had other people from Dublin and Belfast and, and stuff and whatever. Um, so I had never heard the song before. I got sent. I got sent a CD. Which I, w- I then took into a studio here in Glasgow, mm-hmm. and that was the first time that I'd kind of heard the track. Um, it didn't come with anybody else's vocals on it, and so I was you- just told to sing verse four or something. So like I'd be have the cans on my ears and you know counting like, bo- like the bandaid counting the. <laughs> Counting the, the, the verses on the guitar and stuff, because uh-huh. it's basically just a, an electric guitar as mm-hmm. well. There's very little, you yeah, know, yeah. kind of other stuff going on. It's just mostly Jason doing the, the guitar, mm-hmm. like, you know. Um, and then I would sing my fourth verse or mm-hmm. whatever it was I was to do. And and I was to do a, um, each of the choruses as well. And he asked me as well to do some harmony lines as for the chorus, and then I sent this back. <clears throat> I sent this back to Chris in New York with my vocals on the track, 
and again, th this was all done on hard disk, mm -hmm. getting put in an envelope and, and sent. There was no internet transfers and right, okay. <laughs> you know, like this. It was it was a bit uh, snail snail mail, you know. But uh, eventually, uh, I get the finished track, which unbeknownst to me at that point in time, I didn't know actually who was going to be on the track. And then, you know, it turns out Crunchers on it and Damien Dempsey's on it and Shane McGowan of the Pogues is on it and, and there's me in the middle. So, yeah, that was a really proud moment for me. to, to it's not half. To be able to say that, you know, I've recorded a song with Shane McGowan and <laughs> Damien Dempsey. <laughs> Even though I had no fucking idea at the time. <laughs> Did you know that? No, honestly, I had no idea because <laughs> I get sent a, a page of lyrics by email and a CD in the post, which, as I said, had like a skeleton of the music of the song. I didn't even know if I was singing the right melody. When I was getting the melody line, for it was Rachel's part was in the song that was sent to me mm -hmm. and I was getting the melody for, for, for her kind of poem and the music that was getting played at, through that. And... Right, okay. It was bizarre. It was. It was. It, the, the, actually, I did another recording with Shanaki, which you probably don't know about, and you certainly weren't going to ask me about. Connor Satati. Connor Satati. Are you going to ask me about that? <laughs> yeah, shit. You fucked up my next question. Sorry, sorry mate. I'm only joking. Just try to make yourself look smart there and well researched. No, I did, a, I did a song. They asked me to, when I was in New York one time. He asked me. To, it was the time I recorded New York Fenian Boys. Right. Right. For on, on one of the, their albums, and they asked me to do backing vocals on a hip hop track called Connor's a Tattoo. Aye. And there was me trying to try to do this thing, you know, Connor's a Tattoo, <laughs> Connor's a Tattoo, Boga Mahone. And I, and I felt, <laughs> honestly, I felt like a complete dick. <laughs> it was so far out of my comfort zone that. Uh, I, I've never know, seen you as a rapper. I'm not, no. I'm, <laughs> No, there are many things that I'm not, but uh, you know, a rapper is, is, is one of the things that they've fucking tapped that Liz Ty, and, and I, I did, I felt like such a twat, and, and they were all laughing at me. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to rap in a Glasgow accent. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it just felt ridiculous, and I, th I don't think it happened. I don't think they used my vocal for that track at all. Uh, but yeah, well, that was an experience. We'll include the link in the podcast anyway, just in case it did use it. Aye, the New, the New York Fenian boys, you've done a wee bit of stuff for them. Yeah. You were, I take it you're touring as Gary Ogg as a solo artist after. Yeah, yeah although the promoter, I'm pretty sure, used to advertise me as Aero Ogg most of the time. Right, okay, um, okay. Just, he used to keep sending me, uh, it's, it's, it's easier to sell tickets. I'd be like, well, it's fucking not very fair. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, I was, I was touring under, under Gary Oak, to be honest, yeah. Right, over kind of recent years, you've performed a lot of songs, whether it's solo or with the Exiles, uh, written by a songwriter for Derry called Declan McLaughlin. How did this, how did this come about? Uh, I met Decky around about 2003, I think. Um, I was booked to do a tour um, of the you know, East USA, way, and, and I was told that I would be sharing the tour with 
with Shanaki and a fella for Derry called Decky McLaughlin. So that was the first when I landed in New. Uh, I think I landed in New York. I don't. I I would have landed in New York because it would have started in New York. Um, and that would have been the first time I met Decky on that tour. Um, I you know Decky. Decky's a likable guy, and and we stuck up a friendship and we stayed in touch. Um, what I do often brings me to Derry. You know, for gigs anyway, and and uh, you know. I'd always kind of make a point of meeting up with him and having a, a bit of crack and whatever. And it came to the point that we, nowadays when I go to Derry, I you know, usually stay at Decky's. And, mm -hmm. um, aye, it's just it's, yeah, it's a long-standing kind of friendship. But um, he's, the truth, the real truth about the question is why, why, why do you cover these songs? Yeah. It's because they're good songs. They're fantastic songs. Um, a song called Running Uphill for example that we did mm -hmm. um, about the kind of uh, the aftermath of Bloody Sunday the, the, the dealing with the the aftermath you know uh, for the families and for the people involved and, mm. and stuff and it's, it's a fantastic song um, you know he's um, final verse for example you know the uh, now we're gathered here in Central Drive and we're marching in the shadow of the truth you try to hide and every step that's taken is a breaking of your law for your justice never added up to the murder that we saw. Just great song. You know what I mean? So, um, and he's got tons of them. You know, I'm jealous of him, you know, because he's got hundreds of them. Um, great songs, you know, and uh, I think we probably covered probably at different points in time, maybe five or six of them. Yeah, there's a few. Um, uh, and I still play a few of them today. I still play Running Up Hill from time to time. I got asked, actually, just the other day to play it. Um, uh, I Believe is a pretty standard song in my set. Mm. Um, a fantastic song about the, the role that women play in the struggle in Ireland. And, um, you know, I'm going to feature that a bit later as well. But, uh, aye, truth is just... He's a great songwriter, um, and they should probably have had a hell of a lot more credit for the songs that he's written mm. than he has. Well, speaking of songwriting, when's mm. Gary Ogg going to... Well, you've, of course, you wrote a song that was on a, an album you done with Exiles. Is there going to be any more of this stuff? Freedom? Is it Freedom, the song? Yeah, we did an album for... Uh, we did, didn't do an album, we did a couple of tracks for... Uh, Charity album that was, was released here in Glasgow. Maybe what what that be three years ago, four must, years ago. Must have been maybe about three uh, years. Ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sean wrote a cracking song called The Immigrants, um, and I did the song called Freedom. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> I don't think Bob Dylan's shitting himself. But, uh, <laughs> but do you see yourself ever writing a couple of songs or releasing some original material? Um, I've, you know, I've, I've toyed with the idea I've done, um, we very nearly did a, a, a third st studio album with Air Og, mm. um, before it all kind of went and we had, uh, some original songs and there I had probably one or two of them, Colm had most of the songs, he was a good songwriter too, you know, he did right. Dermot and Neil, um, Oh, I songs that he wrote um, 
we, we kind of collaborated on that. We, we wrote that song and we, we kind of toyed with it in the rehearsal studio and uh, we felt it, it was kind of missing a middle eight, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I had written another song that we had been toying with at the time as well that had, a, that had this middle eight part in it. And what we did was we just lifted the middle eight part from my song into Column's song. Okay. And it kind of worked. Um, gave it the, the, the wee change it needed. Um, and, yeah, so I've, I've done wee bits of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would like to be better. I'd like to do it. I'd like to um, have a go at it at times. I mean, it's difficult. Right now, I've probably never been as busy in my life having just had a, a kid 18 months ago. Um, Need eating nappies. It's, and... <laughs> it's quite... Uh, getting the time of day anything other than... Um, you know the the necess the necessary kind of stuff that you need to do in a family, but um, aye, I think at some point I'll have a stab at it. Um, whether it's any good or not is um, another story. Anyway, hey, uh, looking back over your career, who would you say was maybe the biggest influence on you? The biggest rebel influence on you? There's been a few. Um, Cruncher, Terry O'Neill. Um, I remember we did a gig and it all did a gig in the New Lodge with Cruncher one night and he opened up for us. And I remember watching him thinking, you know, he, he wiped the floor with us, he was fantastic. And I just remember watching him thinking, you know, he was doing all this kind of finger style type guitar playing and um, and I remember being mesmerised at how, how, just how good this one guy with a guitar was at doing this this kind of stuff um, that made me the humbling experience of a guy absolutely wiping the floor with you as a musician as well you know at that point in time as you say the band that it all was, was quite popular so there was a lot of people around you at that time telling you oh you're great you're brilliant you know blah blah <laughs> and, and when you're 17, 18 and 19 it's like you know it's very easy to, to, for your ego to, to get kind of inflated and uh, I left that gig that night like a buzz balloon because <laughs> you know his cruncher was fucking so good and uh, so yeah uh, as I said to you, I'd never I said to you earlier, I'd never had any lessons with guitar, but Cruncher's one of the few people who would have sat down with me and you know, at house parties after gigs and all that, Derry and Belfast and things would you know, would end up meeting up and having a you know, a session and whatever. Mm-hmm. And he would take with you know, just sometimes just two minutes to say, you know, see when you're doing such and such, try this. Yeah. You know, and he would show me a little, a little run or a wee different chord change or something like that to a song. Um, so the wee things that he showed me also opened up different things for me because when I was going away and doing these wee things that Cruncher was showing me, I was I was getting taken in different directions and how I was playing a guitar. So he had a big influence on how I became to be somebody who plays an acoustic guitar and attacks it and, and mm-hmm. plays it with, with the kind of energy and stuff that I, I did um, there. There's been other people who have been 
very influential with me, Sean, Sean Lyons, that I spent you know, a lot of years playing with, was just the best musician I've ever played with. Um, and Sean would have taught me a lot about things, you know, being self-taught, I have massive, massive gaps and 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 the, you right. know, the, the kind of knowledge of guitar playing. There are things that I can do that are reasonably advanced and there are very, very basic things that I struggle badly with because I didn't learn how to play the guitar the, the way that other people do, progressively, mm -hmm. step by step. Sometimes I was jumping steps because I didn't know any better, you know. So there are Ask me to do some things that, and I'm fucking hopeless at it, you know. Mm -hmm. And ask me to do other things, and I'm I'm, I'm good at it. I'm reasonably good at them. Um, but uh, Sean would have spent a lot of time with me, probably frustratingly, trying to help me fill in some of the holes and the gaps and the the things that were in my my guitar playing. And by the end of that time playing with him, I was I was certainly a much better musician coming out at the end of that mm -hmm. than I was at the you know going into it. Um, so yeah. Um, Few, these they were probably the biggest direct influences on me. Is there anything you would change? Looking back over here, over here. <laughs> getting quite deep here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was a prick for a lot of it. You know, I would probably change that. Um, <laughs> I was young and and. You see, there was a lot of drinking and a lot of carrying on going on at the time. Um, I probably would like to change some of that, maybe some of the, the stupidity, okay. the mistakes. But hey ho, I mean that's it's part of life. It's part of growing up, and it's it's easy now. I'm, I'm twenty odd years past that stage. Um, I'm certainly not the same person and the same. Um, any that I was then, um, but <laughs> just be thankful that social media didn't exist by then. <laughs> Could be worse. <laughs> Do you have a, a proudest moment? Proudest moment? Um, I suppose there's maybe a few. I mean, I, I, there's a few jumping in my head. And it, it, you kind of get drawn to like some of the big things and mm. you know playing in the Barrowlands, you know, was great. And, yeah. Uh, playing in Benidorm in Spain on a on a, a football pitch with big screens and you know all that kind of stuff. That was that was yeah. mayhem. Um, getting the tour places like America and Australia and things are big highlights. But but the truth be told, the most excited moment I think was. You know, as 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 a musician, as a as a it was years and years ago, it was probably getting a gig in the Brazen Head for the first time, because we really, as a wee band starting out, that was what we set our target on. Mm -hmm. We didn't set our targets on getting on MTV and winning a Grammy or anything like that. You yeah. know what I mean? We, we our whole everything or everything about what we were trying to do was about trying to get a gig in the Brazen Head. So when we finally got a gig in the Brazen Head, you know. It's probably sixteen years of age or something like that. You know, it was it was an extremely proud moment. I think so. That probably tops them all. I think. Well, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, but last but not least, 
When are we going to see an album? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I've been answering, We're all waiting. been answering this question for 10 years plus. Longer, Guns, <laughs> Guns and Roses took longer to do their, their next album, didn't they? Less time, sorry, I should say, than I did. Um, and I'm still counting. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I will do it one day. <laughs> I've learned not to make predictions anymore or put t- timetables on it because it inevitably leads to to disappointment. So, um, but hopefully, yeah, hopefully, um, as I say, I'm in a different kind of place at this moment in time. So I'm, I'm, I'm concentrating a lot more on being a dad and stuff than, I, than I'm doing. And I, so, but I also have a, a, a you know, a, a kind of more of a, desire to, to get working again and do something again rather than just, you know, kind of plough through the field, <laughs> going <laughs> from pub to pub, you know, and, and uh, aye, so I, I think, I think I will do something, I will do something soon, um, watch this space. <laughs> One even fair as the sun was shining this podcast is sponsored by Kelly's Bar, Oswald Street, Glasgow. Live Irish music every week from your favourite singers and bands. Check out the Kelly's social media page for more information. So you've brought along three songs to have a wee chat about. Three songs that maybe influence you along the way or maybe songs you just like. Mm-hmm. So, what's your, your first song? Okay, um, well, I, I should put a disclaimer in here because the way you described it to me was that I should do three songs that influenced me. Not so much about songs that I liked, was it? But there you go. So I brought in three songs that had some kind of influence or landmark okay, on me. Okay. Uh, so the first song was, um, it's the first song that I ever remember hearing in my life it's a song by Leonard Cohen called um, Hey That's No Way To Say Goodbye I love you in the morning our kisses deep and warm your hair upon the pillow like a sleepy golden star is many love before us I know that we are not new in city and in forest they smiled like me and you but now it's come to distances and both of us must try your eyes are soft with sorrow hey that's no way to say Goodbye. Right, okay, so the first song you've ever heard? Yeah. I, I, well, I can't say for certain it was the first song I've ever heard. I Aye. said it was the first song that I have a memory okay. of hearing and, and, and certainly hearing more than once because my mum, my who would have been the, the, the you know, my mum was the one who played music about the house when I was growing up. Mm. Um, so she would have been the person who kind of got this kind of thing for music into me. I remember 
as a kid, you know, my mum's singing a lot and, and getting me to sing along, you know, with things and stuff when I was young. Um, so I dare say it's it's possible that had I not had that kind of upbringing with, with you know with my mark and instilling music into me as a kid and singing and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that, that it might never have you know I might never have kind of had any interest in music or or singing or anything. Um, but it's like just some of my most early memories of life are, are, are listening to songs and you know when I was a kid and and, and my ma singing songs and mm. things to me um, so it's a song that she used to sing to me regularly when I was a kid she apparently used to sing it to me when I was you know a wee baby as well like singing me to sleep and stuff you know yeah. um, so it's just always had a kind of emotional attachment to me all through my life and and it always makes me think of my ma when I hear it. Um, so, as I said, yeah, it's just, I, I don't think, or, or I should say that, I, th- I think it, it it was it was pivotal to, to me, kind of wanting to be involved in music, play music, uh, because of the kind of musical upbringing that I had. Okay. It wasn't the instruments and stuff, it was just songs and singing and, 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 and records and, mm-hmm. you know, um, but... But certainly instilled in me a love of music. It was a hell of a lot deeper than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> so what's your, your second song? Second song's Ride On by Christy Moore. Um, it was the first song I ever sang live. Okay. As a kid, uh, I think I mentioned earlier on, I went to Donegal on a holiday when I was like, when I was, you know, I don't know, thirteen or fourteen or something. Um, we went to Dunlow. It was a family kind of holiday, and and one of the nights, we went to a, a wee pub called Leo's Tavern, mm-hmm. and uh, I found out later on that Leo, who whose pub it was and who did the entertainment and it was I think it's Enya's father Enya who was the musician for Clan- Clanad and yeah. um, I think it was I think it was her father I might, I might be wrong on that but um, 
he's, he's definitely somebody's father. <laughs> he's definitely somebody's. Um, we'll just say it. Enya's <laughs> as good as anybody else. But uh, I remember um, we went to see Leo playing, and my dad was having a couple of pints, and you know, we were sitting, enjoying the crack, and Leo was playing away. And he did this big accordion, a big massive accordion that he was, you know, a big MIDI accordion things that was doing everything and he was singing and playing all these kind of ballads and songs and stuff and, and at one point he said you know does anybody in the audience want to sing I can I can actually only barely kind of remember I don't remember what made me put my hand up and say I'll sing <laughs> but <laughs> but I did um and after a wee bit of kind of discussion we, we leave over what we should sing we settled on Ride On by Christy Moore and I sang it in the pub and, and people kind of clapped and probably thought it was very novel and, and, and cute, this, this wee teenage boy singing. Um, but, uh, you know, I kind of got away with that for the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, and your, your third song? Third song is my all-time favourite Rebel song. Um, it's, it's a particular version of the of my all-time favourite Rebel song. It's the Foggy Dew um, by Sinead O'Connor and the Chieftains. What was it about, about this particular version of this song? Um, it's a combination of the fantastic musicianship of the Chieftains. I mean, the, the Chieftains are like up there in the league of their own in terms of their abilities and musically and um, yeah, amazing kind of arrangement that they had with the song. And then you add to that Sinead O'Connor's kind of haunting lyric uh, sorry, a voice on the on the lyrics. Um, she 
just nails it. And it's just, mm. it, it's, to me, it's a perfect combination. Um, it's, it's, it doesn't really matter the version in general. I still love that song. You know, I, I love singing the Foggy Dew, but I play it most gigs. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's just one of these songs. And, and just, but that version I feel is, is the, the definitive one, I think, for me anyway. It's just, um, blows me away and it's obviously it's became a bit more popular with Conor McGregor using it as his his, his ring entrance uh, but I think that's you know the, the big drums and all that the chieftains are doing and it's just um, yeah just amazing well, your version of the Foggy Dew and I've heard you in the past your versions are Ride On you used to rock that up mm. uh, and it was a lot more kind of fast paced and aggressive I know I've said that a few times before in this but uh, so it's very different for your style mm-hmm. so I feel a wee bit strange that you're kind of see the, the difference between me and these people is these people are musicians ah ok um, <laughs> so I have to have a style that kind of that, that that suits me as a as mm. a as a as a hacker um, <laughs> as opposed to you know, uh, somebody is refined. I mean, as as the chieftains and and uh, Leonard Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> but truth be told, my favourite kind of pastime when it comes to music is a is a is a ballad, and it's a nice mm-hmm. um, kind of soft song. So, as much as I'm known for raucous stuff. Uh, at home, I'm a uh, kind of laid-back ballad kind of person. <laughs> Time for a pop quiz. Okay. A couple of wee quick-fire questions for you. Uh, why this type of music over other genres? Do you know, when you think about that, that's it's not really a pop quiz question, is it? It's quite, it's quite, it's quite a big question. Um, well, get your feet up. <laughs> Jeez, I'll try and we could be here a while. I'll try and have a big answer. Um, why this type of music? What was it again? Why this type of music? <laughs> why this type over, of music? Oh, to be honest, right? Okay. Um, it's real. Um, um, I like music with a kind of reality, kind of based um, concepts. You know, um, I like. A lot of kind of the you know like Bob Dylan's social conscious songs. I like the um, Rage Against the Machines anarchist songs. I like the mm-hmm. you know I like something with a twist. I don't I don't like bubblegum pop. I don't like music for the sake of music. I don't like yeah. something that doesn't have any meaning, and I don't like lyrics that are throw away and uh, you know forgotten. Yeah. Um, which is a hell of a lot of today's modern music industry. Of course, yeah. Um, but there's no denying that when you're getting to the guts of what we're talking about and singing about in terms of rebel music, it's real and it's 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 about real things. It's about real hopes and fears and aspirations and um, and I would much rather be doing music 
that says something and speaks about something than doing something that doesn't, <laughs> you know, regardless yeah. of what kind of amount of money or, or fame or whatever that would that would bring weight. Yeah, that that kind of side of music has no has no interest for me at all. Just I, I would, you know, this this kind of music, as I say, it's just it's it's, it's real and and speaking for something. Um, and that's that's why I do it. I suppose that answers your question. Yeah, does that? Do you have a favourite rebel or political band? Rebel or political band? Rebel bands, like Irish rebel bands, yeah. growing up would have been my, my, my favourite is the Ballycon. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Paddy McGuigan's songs. Um, I have a particular live album by the Ballycon that I just thought it was a wonderful balance of beautiful ballads cracking kind of upbeat rebel songs humour um, yeah and, and you know the, the songs that they wrote as well the Irish Soldier Laddie Blood Black Brother the Boys of Old Brigade you know these are just absolute standard songs and pretty much every kind of rebel band's set and um there's been a lot of other bands that have wrote good songs and, and, and stuff, but to me, they, they were my favourite. Ballycon. Do you have a favourite rebel or kind of political song? Foggy Jew. Foggy Jew. Foggy Jew. Of course. So, yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, fuck. Um, Fifty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... I don't know. Um, I'd like to think I would. I would still be playing music. I'd like to think I'd still be whatever that is. You know, mm-hmm. in some kind of way, I would like to think, as I said earlier, I'd still be playing some kind of music that's got some kind of social conscience about it. Um, hopefully, I won't sell it to the man. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, as long as I'm still doing a bit of music and something or whatever, I'd still be happy, yeah. Where do you see rebel music in 10 years? Hopefully in a good place. Um, I think there's a lot of good musicians and there's, 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 there's a lot of good bands. Um, um, rebel music, is, is, is what we're talking about here, it's... A, it's it's because it's expanded itself as a genre in Scotland and Glasgow because we have bands that are doing the kind of full on rebel music and look at bands that are doing and branching in different directions from that kind of base and mm-hmm. and whatever and, and it's expanding as a scene. Um, there's a lot of great bands like you know Shabina still kicking around and are still one of the best at putting on a a big show somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, You've you've got young guys like Connor Kelly, who I think is one of the the best young musicians I've seen playing this kind of music. Um, and there's a lot of really good musicians around. There's there's, there's bands like The Wakes out there firing shots and mm-hmm. you know doing things that haven't been done for the, for this kind of Glasgow base before. Um, and yeah, I think there's a lot of good things happening. Um, 
and yeah, I don't see why in ten years' time there wouldn't be just as much, if no more, bands and singers and stuff out there giving it the message. So why not? So what's going on with Gary Hogan at the minute? Mm. <laughs> a lot of kids TV. Um, <laughs> in the night garden, by any oh, chance? Well, I've heard that's a popular one. <laughs> he's kind of outgrown in the night garden now. Yeah, he's, okay. he's, he's on a different type. Fireman Sam's his new... That's, that's, that's his new thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's it's fantastic. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me in life is, you know, my son being born and um, I'm enjoying every minute of that. Um, I'm still playing music. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still playing here, there and everywhere. So pretty much... You know, for an outward point of view, people that don't really give a shit about what I'm doing in my private life, um, I'm I'm doing much of the same stuff. I'm I'm, I'm playing and I'm getting out, you know, out there and starting to now that the the wee man's a wee bit older now. I'm starting to get back out and get on the road again and do gigs, you know, in Ireland and stuff. And done a tour in Australia last year and I've got another one coming up and blah blah blah. So there's a lot of kind of things in the pipeline. It's so where can people see you play for? Stag do or a hen night came to Glasgow for the weekend. Stag do or a hen night comes to Glasgow for the weekend. They can fuck off and get away from my gigs. Go to go to Kelly's. Go to Kelly's bar. Don't Kelly's that sponsored the show. <laughs> Don't come near my gig. <laughs> no, all kidding aside, um, I, I I do some kind of regular slots when I'm in town in Glasgow. Uh, I play in St Vincent's. And I play in Malone's. I still play in the Brazen Head when there's, you know, a big Celtic game, kind of run day things. And, um, so, but beyond that, you know, I'm still getting abroad and I'm still getting out to other countries as well. So it's not just here. Any big gigs coming up? Any big gigs coming up? Um, yeah, yeah, I've got a few what you would consider big gigs coming up. I'm doing the... The Fila in Belfast in August, mm -hmm. um, which is the anniversary gig for the, the Fila. And the Shabin are going to be there, the Wolf Tones are going to be there. Yeah. There's a number of bands, I think the Irish Brigade are, are there too, is that right? Um, well, I'm not sure, sure but I, I, I think so. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, maybe I read it wrong. But, um, yeah, whatever it is, it promises to be a, a big, big thing. The, the feel is usually a big, big event. Um, so a number of thousand people like that. And uh, I've got a wee mini thing when I'm landing in, in July. Um, I'm doing Cork and Limerick and Meath and, and Ireland. Um, I'm a, off to Australia in November, do a tour at... Mm -hmm. out there around late November early December um, and if the American immigration ever relent with the fucking hoops that you have to jump through you get a visa you get into that country I'm planning <laughs> to be there next year at some point uh, and do some touring um, America um, and I should give a wee shout out to the, the boys in Australia. Yeah. Who are listening? Aussie and Fran. 
troop of dog. Yeah, troop of dog boys who, who look after me when I go there. And then, um, yeah, loads of loads of stuff coming up. Um, and uh, it's rumoured, rumoured, rumoured. Just rumoured. Just rumoured that I might be doing the support slot to Damien Dempsey and Derry in October. And that would be a good, good old bit of crack. So, ah, there's plenty happening. Right, well, my last question was any plans for new material, but we kind of covered that earlier on, so... Last question, uh, when are you going to do a gig in Kelly's? When am I going to do a gig in Kelly's? <laughs> Tell Andy I'll look in the diary and I'll see what we can sort out. <laughs> so we're on to the, the live lounge session. You brought a couple of songs down for us to perform live for us. So what's your, your first one? <coughs> Excuse me. My first song is uh, The Time Has Come To Part by Christy Moore. Um, I've always loved the... Uh, Kind of emotion and the, the feeling of that song. I've, I've never really played it live. So, uh, for a start, it's something a wee bit different that people have never heard me play. Um, so, I'm going to have a wee go at that and do a wee bit different. I think I'm going to pull it back a wee bit and do it a wee bit, bit lower. See how it happens. Time has come to pardon my love I must go away I leave you now, my darling Father, the man 
Don't call me back again How their sorrow touched us all It was time she held the door and touched his sallow face. And the flame he lit by leaving. Is still burning strong by the light. It's plain to see the suffering still goes on. Time has come to part, my love. I must go away. I For your second song, it's called "I Believe," um, and it's by Decky McLaughlin, mm -hmm. uh, as we touched on earlier. The, um, it's a song about the role that women have played in probably not just the struggle on Ireland, as I said earlier, but the, the just revolutionary struggles in general. Um, it's a brilliant tune, first and foremost. Um, at least it. Was to ask, are they playing it? But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a song that's a kind of staple on my set these days, and I, I just thought there's been a nice one to do here. Gary, I can't thank you enough, big chap. Thank you, pleasure. Well, I've been up and down the highways in the dead of night. Singing songs about the justice that I don't believe is right I believe in you Well, I've seen a hundred graveyards and a chance to say goodbye Never known an English soldier, but I've seen a couple die But I believe, I believe in you There's no flowers at the graveside from anyone at all Pictures in the paper, and I think this says it all. All that I can do is 
maybe dedicate this song and try and shame the bastard who spelled your name wrong. When the images of Ireland as a woman have all gone It's the woman of the movement that keep it moving on I believe, I believe, I believe in you Catholic education has you up against the wall Don't worry sister, I'll be there if you fall There's women in the kitchen, there's women on the street There's women manning barricades, that's women on their feet I believe, I believe, I believe in you Yes, I believe, I believe Thanks for tuning in, folks. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to give us a like or a follow on social media. Just search for The Rebel Collective on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. A special thanks to Gary Ogg for being our fifth guest on the show and tune in next month when we have David Rovix. Promises to be a great show. Thanks again for tuning in. Speak to you soon. One even as the sun was shining. This podcast is sponsored by Kelly's Bar, Oswald Street, Glasgow. Live Irish music every week from your favourite singers and bands. Check out the Kelly's social media page for more information.